Hey there, and welcome to Yes, a Stripper Podcast. On this podcast, we'll discuss how classifying each other as people and workers is dangerous to society and marginalized groups of people. We'll also talk about the climate in and outside of the strip clubs and all of the amazing things that strippers do. And of course, we'll talk about all of the things in between. I'm your queen, A.M. Davies, and this is Yes, a Stripper Podcast. AMD here recording another session of Yes, a Stripper Podcast. And I literally feel like maybe I just stuck my really long electric yellow fingernails into an outlet that has electricity in it because my whole body is buzzing right now after just finishing this interview with Nicole Mitchell. Her story is so absolutely incredible and her outlook on life is um, magnetic, energetic, uh, just, I, I can't even think of the words to describe what just happened. And I'm so incredibly excited for you to listen to Nicole's story. Um, you know, just to give you a brief synopsis, Nicole was originally a pastor and is now a sex worker on OnlyFans. And um, the amount of courage, bravery um, that it took to do something like that is is mind blowing and quite frankly, extremely inspirational. Um, and as someone who has taken chances like that myself, um, I really admire the degree of, of the risks that she took to live her fully expressed authentic self in this world and, um, and with such mindfulness for so many others at the same time. So I couldn't be more jazzed for you to listen to this next episode so that you can maybe feel like you stuck your fingers in an electrical socket today. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to just leave it at that. And we're going to hop on over and talk to Nicole Mitchell. Enjoy. Well, as I said, we're here with an amazing guest. We are talking to Nicole today, but before we get to Nicole, I just want to remind you and thank you for all of your donations to us because donations like yours are what help keep this podcast alive and helps pay the people who are working on it. So if you love us and want to donate, to us, you can send your money over to paypal.me forward slash yes, a stripper podcast. Thank you so much to everyone who's donated already. Now we're going to get over to our guests. We're going to say hi to Nicole. Hello. How are you? Hi, I'm so good. Thank you for having me. Amazing. I wish that more people watched the YouTube video because your outfit is super banging today. Thank you so much for getting so dressed up for us. Oh my gosh. It's my favorite. So thank you for giving me a reason to dress up. Oh yeah, absolutely. So Nicole, before we get started and talk about all the things that are you, which are incredible, can you please let everyone know what your pronouns are? Yes. Mine are she, her. Lovely. Thank you so much for sharing. So Nicole, this is kind of your introduction or sort of like, hello, here I am to the sex worker community. Am I getting that right? Yes. Yeah. I'm super excited to be connected to this part of the sex worker community. Awesome. Yeah. And so for our listeners out there that don't know much about you yet, would you be so kind as to share your story about how you got into sex work? 
Yeah. So I'm Nicole Mitchell. And about a year and a half ago, my story went viral and I went viral as the pastor turned stripper. And it, it does capture and sensationalize my journey. So I was raised very religious, um, very much tried to fit the good girl script. I was taught women belong in the kitchen or in the nursery. Women were not allowed to be leaders. So when I even went on to become a pastor later in my adult life, that was the first radical, scandalous, and in some eyes, sinful thing to do. So you can imagine how my community reacted when I decided to go into adult work. Um, but as I rose up into the religious community, I became more and more disillusioned with it and mm. was so tired of the level of censoring and control. And, and for a, a church, especially that says they prioritize women and women of color, I'm, I'm biracial and queer women, we're, we're inclusive, we're accepting, we're welcoming, but they actually weren't in practice. And mm. at one point I had to decide, is it worth staying in this and trying to change the institution or is it worth leaving and saving my own mental and emotional well-being? So I ended up leaving my entire church, community, friends packed up, left the Midwest, moved to California for a new beginning and kind of dove right into adult work and have now become one of OnlyFans top creators and love what I do. I feel like I am fulfilling a very real purpose of my life on earth right. and am now connected to the most incredible community, the most incredible humans in my life. And this journey, as hard as it was, has definitely been worth it. Yeah, I can't imagine. It's so incredible to just leave an entire tribe like that. Like, yeah, that was that scary for you when, you know, what was going on for you when that was happening? Yeah, it was a both and experience. I think if you see someone do something to that drastic of a measure, I think it's a symptom of how much they help themselves back. Mm. Right. So it's easy for outsiders, especially my previous community, like Nicole went off the deep end. She's gone cuckoo. She's having an early midlife crisis. Or did Nicole try so hard to hold herself back and fit in a teeny tiny box that the, her only option was to fully bust out of it and become something you couldn't even imagine. Wow. Right. So I see it as that's how hard I tried to fit the mold and follow the script that was placed on me as a little girl in a religious community and when I finally escaped and I found how open and free life really could be, it's like, of course, I would go as far away from what I was raised with because it is so antithetical to the core of who I am. Right. With that, though, it was terrifying to leave. It's my whole circle, all my friends, all my kids' friends. Like We did life together for the nine years I was part of this community, and I was heartbroken. And I was desperate. I was mm. desperate for a community that could actually know the real me and not just know the real me, but celebrate the real me. I felt like if I came out to my people back then, I would maybe be tolerated, definitely not celebrated. And I don't mm. want to live a life where I'm barely tolerated. I want to live a life where all the people around me love me, accept me and celebrate me and what I do. Yeah. Amazing. I have chills listening to you. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I'm wondering if, because you said, oh, Nicole went cuckoo. She went off the deep end. Is that, is that the way that your family and friends reacted or, or were you sort of just, you know, speaking uh, hypothetically or what, what, what happened with them? 
Yeah, no, that's how they took it. Um, I'm no longer in communication with my family, which is probably been one of the most painful things I've ever experienced. I think every single one of us yearns for our family love. And yeah. when you reach the limit of their love and they can't go with you beyond, that's a hard decision. And I've seen people choose not to go past that limit because yeah. they're so terrified of losing their love. And I get it. It's one of the most painful things I've ever gone through, but also I deserve better love. Mm. And so I was willing to leave that limited, very conditional love for the chance at maybe finding unconditional love with people who could grow with me. And I have found that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I, I remember even writing a social media post about this probably a year ago, taking the accusations against me and flipping it on its head. And one of those were, Nicole's gone off the deep end. And instead of combating that, I said, yes, you're right. I've gone off the deep end. I've <laughs> left the shallow end of life and I've dove deep into the fullness and richness of life. I've absolutely gone off the deep end and I am so glad I did. Yeah. And so trying to show people a different way to view this major life transition I went through. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. I'm just in awe of you. It's so incredible <laughs> because... um. Uh, you know, I've experienced as well, not, you know, going a very long period of time, not speaking to a very important family member of mine. And it, it was, um, incredibly difficult. And so I, I can't even imagine. And, um, but I'm sure that there's other people out there that were, that are, or were experiencing similar things to you. So it, have you noticed that or do people reach out to you and, and mention that to you ever as sort of like a, a place of support? Yeah, I get a lot of it, especially, you know, as a queer person, that's like a, the normal script, unfortunately, for a lot of us in the LGBTQ community. It's like, we have to leave our birth family and go for, find our chosen family. And yeah. that's something I even teach my clients who are straight and like are very close to their actual birth family but they feel held back by them because they're only allowed to be so free. They're only allowed to be so much. And they see me living this fully embodied, expressed, empowered life. And they're like, I want that, but what about mm -hmm. my family? Mm -hmm. And that's where I teach them the gift of chosen family. Mm -hmm. Yes, you were born with them, but you are also allowed to create and curate your own true family. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think is happening for family members when they, um, you know, when someone like you comes to them and they're like, this is what I'm doing. And then their choice is okay. Bye. Like, we're not going to talk to you anymore. Like, what do you, what do you think is going on there? Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. And it's not even like, bye, we're not going to talk to you more. There's a lot of, um, viral, like hateful, angry, uh, wounded, stuff they spew at you, which is even more painful. It would almost be easier to please just never talk to me again. But Got the, it. you know, the drama and the stuff they'd spew at me is what made that process so much harder. And I kept trying to stay open to them and give them time and space. But the amount of like pain inflicted on me, I, I finally had to be like, this isn't okay. I deserve better treatment. Yeah. Um, but it, I feel like it's a couple different things. I think part of it is like this evolutionary reaction of like survival requires not pushing the limits. It requires staying small, doing what is familiar, staying within the known. And so when one person from that tribe is willing to step outside of that and risk, the whole group feels they've been at risk. They're not anymore. We're not in the evolutionary survival times, but I think there's something primal where we are 
Cause I just see it in so many families. It's not even just the religious conservative families. So many families knee jerk reaction to someone wanting to go off on their own or test the limits. It's freak out and shut them down. And I think it's survival. Then you add on top of that, any religious dogma or societal programming that says a woman should be this, Mm -hmm. a woman should be a stay at home mom to 2.5 babies. She should hold herself back for the flourishing of her children and her husband. And so when a woman, for example, breaks out of that paradigm, and for me, I'm a single mom to three kids, I'm queer, I do sex work. Like all of the religious and societal programming, red bells and alarms are going off. Danger, danger, danger. This woman is a threat to our entire system that we have set up. Squash her. And so I feel for these family members, mine and my clients' members, like I get it. Like everything you've been trained to believe evolutionary and society-wise is all being triggered right now. But what I wish they would do, instead of projecting all that onto the person who's brave enough to leave the circle, that they would hold it and sit with it and say, what does this have to reveal to me? What can this teach me? And then when they're ready, come from a place of deep love and awe of this family member of yours who is willing to leave everything they know. Mm -hmm. That takes an incredible amount of courage. And there's a lot of fear wrapped up in that. But most family members are blind to it because they're so enraged by all the programming they were raised with. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, I see that all the time, even with my own family programming within the family. And um, it's so funny because like a random story, I, I told my aunt one day who has said not very nice things about me behind my back. And I looked at her one day and we were just having a random conversation. And I said, I don't really care if I'm liked. And I looked her right in the eyes, you know, to let her know, like, I don't need your validation. And I told that story to a very wise older friend of mine who said, maybe next time you could say, I don't care if you like me, but I would, I desire for a time when you will love the person that I'm becoming. And I was like, oh my God, that is so much, so much more profound than what I said. They're both profound because for a woman to say that, it goes against the script we were passed that was passed on to us as women. Our entire programming is to be liked, right? To be accepted. So for a woman to say, I don't care if you like me, that's profound, right? And then, yeah, it's the next level. Like, and I, I feel the same way. I don't want to be liked. I want to be loved. Yeah. So if you don't like me, that's not as important to me as like, but do you love me? Do we have this loving relationship? And that's deeper, that's intimate, that's real. Likes come and go. But a love for another person, that's the kind of love I want to offer humans in my life. That's the kind of love I want to have in my life. Yeah. Both are profound. Both are important. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you for that. (laughs) Thank you for like, we need more women saying, I don't care about being liked because we are so programmed just to everything to be liked. And it's, it's such a cage we get stuck in because it stops us from saying what we really want to say, doing what we really want to do, wearing what we actually want to wear because we're afraid of not being liked. And it just holds us back more than we really realize. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Um, One of the things that we talked about when we did our little pre-interview together um, was about um, how you don't necessarily feel super closely tied to one tribe, but like in like all of these ranges of your life being sex work, um, race, sexuality, et cetera. Um, can you, you know, fill us in a little bit more on that about what you meant? 
Yeah, I've always envied people who feel like they fully fit in a circle or a tribe or community because my whole life I've always felt in the gap. So for example, I'm biracial, I'm half white, I'm half Korean. I don't fully fit in my Korean community. I don't fully fit in the white community. I'm just kind of in the middle. Then later in life when I realized I was queer, I don't fit in the straight community. I don't fully fit in the gay community. I feel in that gap. And then um, now I do sex work, but I don't do it in the traditional in-person, which is how most sex work has always been done, whether it's on the streets or in the clubs or as an escort, mine's all online. So I don't fully feel connected to the sex work industry. And I obviously am not connected to mainstream society. I'm in the gap. And for the longest time, I felt like it was almost a curse. I felt so isolated and alone. I'm like, why can't I just fully fit in either or? Mm. Now that I'm at this point in my life, I see it now as my superpower and it's where I'm meant to be. I feel like I live in a space where like spirituality and sexuality collide. I live in a space where faith and fetishes collide. I live in a space where kids and kinks collide. Like I bridge, I bridge that gap for Mm. so many people who come to me, people who are more vanilla and want to start getting more into sex work or kink or fetishes. I'm that bridge between moms who also want to become models or I have models. I had a, I had a client used to say she identifies as a whore and she goes, I want to be a whore and a mom. I want to have a baby in the next year, right? Like I bridge this gap where people can say these two sides themselves that Mm. society tries so hard to say, you can only be this or that you cannot bridge it. Right. And I feel like I'm a living embodiment of that bridge. And now people come from both sides wanting to cross over and become their own bridge. And now mm-hmm. it's like some of my most favorite sacred work. I yeah. Do. You are the spin queen for sure. So <laughs> you just like, you take something and you're like, um, no, fuck that. I'm going to make it this way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> rewrite that, reclaim that, rearrange that for my own good. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Um, you mentioned something about faith and fetish fetishes colliding. Could, what, what did you mean by that? So I, I joke that I'm still a pastor just with less clothes on because I still have a very pastoral heart and I have a lot of people who come to me for guidance, for nurturing, for mothering. And so um, I have several conversations with my fans and clientele about spirituality, about faith. What does it mean to be a person of faith and be an adult work? What does it mean to be a person of faith and hire an escort? What is like, we talk about all these things. There's like nowhere else. Cause you go to church, you can only talk about faith. You go to your BDSM community. You can only talk about BDS things, but in my speak, we space, we get to talk about both. We get to talk about what's it mean for you to be religious and spiritual. And what's it mean for you? Like dabbling in sex work for the first time or hiring your very first escort or joining your first OnlyFans account and having a conversation that I think is so crucial to our well-being where both sides of both of our sides are valid and beautiful and are meant to be integrated and not compartmentalized. And so that's where I feel like that's a void I feel like my work is filling right. where we get to talk about things on this side and things on this side and bring them together. Yeah. That's amazing. So in, in that in that um, explanation, you brought up another point that I would love for the audience to know is that on top of being a sex worker, you're also a life coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny because after I went viral, people found out I was also a life coach and they're like, it's funny. It, it shows their prejudices because they first thought I was only a stripper. And when they found out I was a life coach, they're like, 
who says you're qualified to be a life coach? So <laughs> automatically, if you're a sex worker or a stripper, you're somehow subpar and inferior and less intelligent and less capable, like, bl- like blinding prejudice. I was like pretty horrified the words that people would say to me. And then people would be just as shocked when they found out I've been a coach for four years, mm-hmm. right? My adult work came just over two years ago. And they're like, wait, what? Because what would make a life coach with a successful business ever <laughs> step into adult work? Because they're so used to the opposite. We're used to the opposite narrative. I left that life. I'm no longer in the sex work. I'm now freed. And I'm now a pastor. I'm a pastor's wife. Like We always hear the opposite, which is why I think my story was so scandalous from pastor internship. Or like, why would you ever go from life coaching or pastoring to adult work? And they, you know, another horrible assumption is like, it's trauma, isn't it, Nicole? And I'm like, oh my God, God. if I hear that from one more mouth, like, or could it because I simply wanted to do it? Can a woman simply desire to be a sexual being? And it's like our society profits off the sexualization of our bodies. But the second a woman wants to profit off her own sexualization, she's a horrible human or how dare you, or it's trauma-based. It is insane. It's so insidious. The double standards that are there. Absolutely. It's so incredibly insidious the way that we're gaslit by media, society, religion, et cetera, of exactly what you said. Look at this hot chick eating a cheeseburger, riding a bull. But if you try to do that and make your own money, like you're a gross slut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so backwards. It's bizarre. Yeah, it is so backwards. And I, it's something I'm so passionate about talking about so publicly because I want women, first of all, to feel safe to do whatever they want with their bodies, your body, your life, your right, your choice, do whatever the fuck you want. And the second, for people who are watching society, average humans, members who don't participate in that, like reflect on your knee jerk reaction, reflect on your assumptions, reflect on your prejudice, and like think through it before you just say it because it reveals something deeper inside of you, whether or not you realize it. Yeah. I wish more people had, were there to be able to do that. And um, we're getting them one podcast episode at a time. It's true. It's true. (laughs) It's very true. Um, And so through your work, being a life coach, um, you know, I saw you, I did some research on you and you were on a ton of media platforms. What's it been like working with mainstream media um, and, and do they pick up on or know about your sex work as well as your life Mm -hmm. coaching? Yeah, it's really fascinating. I get a lot of press, um, TV, radio, podcasts, magazines, all the things. I love it. Um, And there's a small, small section of mainstream media who are like, they hear my story and they're like, we have to have you on. That's always like so refreshing. From my personal experience, it seems like the majority of mainstream media are like, if we find out that's what you do, we will not touch you with a 10 foot pole um, because they for many reasons, but it, they'll love my pitch. Cause I, I will be on TV for mostly life coaching stuff. I help with businesses. I help with wealth creation and then, and I'm really good at it, but because they find out I do this thing also, they're like, you are not allowed to be on our TV and they'll, they'll dodge me. They'll avoid me. They'll, it's been weird. So I just have to slowly work through all the producers I pitch and all the TV stations knowing I'm going to get a bunch of no's. And I'm willing to face as many no's as I need to in order to get my next yes. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of a numbers game, but I also take it a little personally because I'm like, really, are we really in the 21st century? And this is how we're treating the modern 
woman, like she can still only be one thing. You can only be a business advisor, life coach, real estate agent, a mom. But the second you dabble into anything adult work oriented, you are less than inferior. You're a problem. You're a disease. We don't want anything to do with you. And I just, and I refuse to be boxed in. So that's why I live my story so publicly, because if you turn me down, that reveals everything I need to know about you and where you're at in life. And it reveals to you everything you need to know about where you're in your life. I refuse to hide and like pretend I'm not doing this thing so you can feel more comfortable with yourself. Right. No, I want you to feel the glaring feelings you feel inside of you, but the hope that someday you'll unpack what that means. Yeah. Amazing. And and one of the things that you talked about a lot in your interviews, and there was one particular interview where it was about what people think about you and how that can stop you from existing as the most authentic version of yourself. Yeah. Um, can we dissect that together? We can, we can all relate to that. Yeah. Whether you can be the most, it makes me think of Glennon Doyle. She's my favorite author and speaker. If you don't know her, everyone check her out. Her book untamed is amazing, but she's like, you can be the most fierce, raging feminist, like social justice warrior. And then your mom calls you and you're all of a sudden like an eight-year-old, like talking to your mom, like, there are mm-hmm. moments where like we deeply care about what someone thinks about them, about us, whether it's a mom, whether it's society, whether it's media, our neighbors, like we all have that person. So we can all relate to that feeling of like, oh, what are they going to think about me? Mm-hmm. And in that moment, we, we make a decision. Do I contract and hold back and hopes to be liked? Or do I open and expand and hopes to be known? Because when we're known, we can be loved. And an example I shared with you is I still feel that when a mom from my kid's school would be like, hey, let's connect on social media. Nicole, what's your Instagram handle? And I'm like, <laughs> oh dear God. Because now I just went from cute little suburban mom to holy shit, it says stripper on her bio. Like, I don't want my kids around that, right? right. Let's happen. They'll become an Instagram friend of mine. I will never hear from them again. My kids mm-hmm. are never allowed to have a play date. Never explicit. They just never respond to my texts. They never show up to the birthday party. They don't do any more play dates. And it always breaks my heart. Cause I'm like, man, I am so much more than whatever story you've made up in your head. Right. And you're letting that story affect the friendship between our children. That always makes me a little sad. And, and I still get that sinking feeling in my stomach when someone asks for my Instagram handle and I'm like, here we go. This is a defining moment of our friendship. Right, right. And it's so interesting that you chose the, to use the phrase like, this is a story that you've made up in your head and that you're sticking with. And I think that even people who aren't living their authentic version of themselves are also telling them a story of, if I am my authentic self, then these are all the things that could happen. Almost like, almost like trying to predict what could happen and then making your choices from there instead of sort of allowing folks to step up to the plate in the moment. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like, just try it. Mm-hmm. You know, I always tell people like, one of the top 10 regrets of the dying is getting to end of their life and realize they didn't live their authentic truth. Mm-hmm. When I saw that, that like jumped out. I mean, I was like, I, that will not be me. I would rather try. I say I dabbled in this adult work, did it for a year, then I'm done. I would rather do that than go the rest of my life wondering, would I have liked that? Would it have become a full-blown career? What, what could have that led to? 
I don't want to live with the wondering. So one of my favorite quotes a mentor told me in, in college, he was one of my high school teachers, but he told me this quote in college. I told him I really regretted not doing this thing years ago. And he said, Nicole, I have found that the majority of my regrets in life are things of omission, not commission. Meaning I tend to re- regret things I don't end up trying. Mm. I really regret things I did try or do. So ever since that I've made a commitment, I would rather try so I can know for myself than live with the question in my head for the rest of my life. Because mm-hmm. people will say to me, well, what are you going to do, Nicole? What if you just get sick of being an adult worker six months from now? And I'm like, then I get sick of being an adult worker six months. Like, what's the big deal? <laughs> right. like, it's like another double stop. standard for sex workers. Like, well, what about the rest of your life? Have you thought about it? And I'm like, have you thought about the rest of your life as a computer engineer? Like, is that what you want to do forever? What if you change your mind six from now? Like, Everyone has the right to change their mind. Everyone has the right to try something. Everyone has the right to try something and hate it, try it and love it, try and be mediocre about it. But to stop someone from even trying, yeah, like why? Give yourself the gift of trying because then you know. And I don't think, I think majority things do not have a permanent repercussion like we think we do. Right, right. Like, okay, so my temporary repercussion for being a stripper was I didn't talk to my mom for six months. Um, and then after that, she had decided I'd rather have a relationship with my daughter, regardless mm-hmm. of what she's doing. Um, but you know, that was difficult for us not talking during that time and it could have lasted longer and thankfully it didn't. And, you know, I do think that there's also an element of, um, privilege with some people versus others, you know, some people it's, uh, you know, obviously it's harder to move through the world and it's, it's a lot harder to to come out and speak the truth because the repercussions might be different for them than it is for us. And I just wanted to acknowledge that, um, to our listeners before, um, moving on. Um, so one of the things that I've sort of seen as being a stripper and knowing so many strippers for 20 years now is that a lot of us don't really care what people think. Like we, a lot of us are, are very like, fuck you. I'm going to do what I want kind of people. Um, and I, I feel like that because strippers live that way or, you know, all types of sex workers, um, that it makes us stronger and more patient and more tolerant with like the, you know, with other civilians and with other different types of folks, have you seen that or experienced that yourself? Yeah, I have find that people who've gone through the biggest life changes, people who become um, professions that are marginalized in in our society, tend to be the most open hearted, mm-hmm. kind, compassionate, brilliant, articulate humans because they've had to get through all the inner and outer shit to arrive at that point. They've had to um, withstand all the stuff projected onto them through all the years, whether in childhood or in their adult years. And it fought, it, it's unnecessary and the world we need to change is, but it fosters in so many of us, this tenderness for the outcast, for the black sheep, for the one who's misunderstood. And I feel like it's part of what makes us great mentors and guides and healers. I feel like so much of our work is actually healing work. Mm-hmm. And it's because we understand so deeply what that path and process is like. And we're really good about not giving two shits about things we shouldn't give two shits about because it forces you. It forces you to get really clear on what's worth giving my time and attention to and what's not. 
And that's what I think every human should get to that point. But I think it's because of our profession. Um, it forces that growth and that realization sooner than for the average person. Yeah, absolutely. I think I learned that like a very long time ago about loving so many different types of people, no matter who they are. And then, and then also recognizing, um, all different kinds of diversity, whether it's disability or, um, depression or, you know, just overall general unhappiness, which a lot of human beings struggle with. And, you know, we are the ones that people tend to come and talk to Like I literally was handed a hundred dollar bill one night after I spoke to this man for about 30 minutes about um, issues he was having with his girlfriend. And I wasn't expecting to get paid. I was just sitting at the bar having a chat, you know, it was in between performances. And at the end of our conversation, he just handed me a hundred dollar bill and he was like, thanks for the therapy. I mean, this is what I'm saying. I think sex work is so healing and Mm -hmm. that's the power of what you do. And what I do is like, we meet each person where they're at. Mm -hmm. So whether it's someone who wants to dance, someone who wants to have a conversation in the bar. So one of my favorite strippers, her favorite thing is when someone will pay her to stroke their hair. Like she just loves like stroking and being this mothering presence. That's her favorite thing to do. And I told her whenever I see you in the club, because she lives in Oregon, I will pay you to caress my hair because I can't imagine a better thing from like a sexy human. Please just like play with my head. Right. But it's like, how cool that, and this is something else I love about sex work is people come, can come in with their specific kink or fetish or need or desire and get it fulfilled because they're Mm -hmm. paying someone to fulfill it. I can't think of a healthier way to have that met than that Mm -hmm. because the people who aren't willing to own what it is they need in that moment what they desire and pay someone who does that service professionally it will come out sideways it will be handled in probably not the healthiest way i would much rather you come to me ask me if i can help you fulfill this thing for a payment for this energetic exchange than have it come out in a sideways ways that isn't good for you or or for your family and so i love that this man got to come to you and get counsel and just like talk and have therapy got exactly (laughs) what he needed you got the compensation you deserved everyone won yeah favorite thing absolutely yeah and we do a lot of that as sex workers and i don't think that the general public really understands how much care and thoughtfulness can go into, um, certain aspects of sex work. I mean, obviously that's not all it is, but there's a lot, there's so much of that, you know? Um, yes. <sighs> someday so they will figure it all out. Yeah. <laughs> so the difference between your work and mine is, you know, I worked in clubs for a really long time. I did very little work online. I, I dabbled in it. Um, for the last, like maybe four years that I was working, but the clubs were my mainstream of money. And now for you, your may, all of your work is online. It's only fans and you've not worked inside of a club yet. Am, am I getting that right? Correct. Okay. So, you know, there are things that I'm sure that you've become aware of over time. It's that sex workers are, you know, there's been sex worker activists for a very, very long time time fighting for our rights. And then there's, you know, more recently it's gotten a lot worse. The discrimination that dancers are dealing with the oppression, the wage theft, all of those things. Um, and I'm wondering, um, you know, what have you found in our industry to be a point of inspiration for the successes that you've experienced versus 
like so many fails that we've experienced slash also I, I want to say this, that not all of us are, it's not like horrible. I don't want to paint the picture that it's like horrible. We're all like, um, you know, starving or anything, but it's been very, very difficult to get the respect Mm -hmm. that we deserve and to be treated with dignity and to not be exploited. Mm -hmm. And for you, Mm -hmm. you have all the power because it's you, it's your thing. You know, you don't have Mm -hmm. a boss. So what have you sort of learned from that? And, and what can, what has inspired you, um, in regards to all that? Sorry, that was a mouthful. Yeah, (laughs) no, it's so interesting. Like, cause yeah, in-person work is so different from online work. I think there's a lot of similarities, but it's very, very different. And when I started, I started with just seeing one woman doing it. I saw a mom and a wife having a successful OnlyFans. This is the power of representation, right? This is the power of being a model. Just by watching her do her thing, she was a respected wife. She was an amazing mom and she was a successful OnlyFans creator. And I it thought, I thought, maybe that can be me. You know, I'm back then I was a wife. I, I am a mom of three kids. And I had this like yearning to share myself sexually with the world. If she can do it, maybe I can do it too. And so that was like my first hit of inspiration because I'd heard about it, but to see someone do it is a totally different thing. And it gave me the permission to just try it. And I liked the idea of being my own boss and being in control of my hours, my time, how much I charge. OnlyFans obviously takes their nice cut out of it but I'm willing to work with that for the control I get over everything else. Um, and now, because I've been doing this for, I've been doing it for two and a half years and I've garnered the success that I have. I, I worked my account for a year before I ever went viral. It was slow. It was clunky. It was awkward. It was like the perfect incubation time for me to figure out what do I feel comfortable with? What are my boundaries? What what are my fetishes? What are my things I'm into? What are things I'm not into? And this whole year to kind of explore. So then when I did go viral and I got a huge influx of new subscribers, which was amazing and absolutely terrifying, I at least had a pretty good sense of who I was and what I have to offer, which now influences the way I show up to strip clubs. So because mm-hmm. I understand how important tips are and I understand how much how much work goes into sex work. I want every woman who does this, whether online or in person to feel like a million bucks. So when I go to a strip club, I bring several hundred dollars. I bring my money gun and I'm just like every woman who's on stage, I'm fucking showering her money because she is a badass bitch and she deserves it. Like I want every woman to feel that way when they cross my path. Had I not gotten into OnlyFans, I don't think I would ever have done that. I think mm. I would have gone in with like a hundred dollars. I'm going to do the bare minimum because I'm shy and I'm nervous and I don't want to like, I, I don't know. I'm, in, I'm I'd be insecure, mm. but because OnlyFans has grown me in my confidence, it's grown me in my certainty. It's grown me in my sexuality. It's grown my respect for women who do this in person and online. I come with like open heart arms mm-hmm. and an open wallet. Like I just right. want you all to feel loved and amazing. Right. But that came as a result of my online work. Okay. Okay. Have you, had you ever been to a strip club before being a sex worker or while you were still with the church? Yeah, I was actually really involved in the queer space before I got into this. I was really involved in the strip club, the, um, like burlesque shows, drag shows all the time. That was like my jam. And it's like, that was looking back. That's where I was trying to channel my sexuality one night a week, one night a week, Nicole, (laughs) you got two hours let her rip. 
but I didn't have money. I was on food stamps back then. And that's something else I'm, I'm known for, right? I was on food stamps for nine years. So I'd bring a $20 bill. And I'm like, okay, who's like the one person that's going to get this $20 bill, right? And I remember one night I bought a lap dance for my girlfriend for on her biggest crush. And I was so excited, but that's all I could spend. And then yeah. I didn't have anything to tip anyone else, but that was my little outlet. So I went to my first like straight strip club um, just in January um, because I was so plugged in my queer community. And then COVID hit when I moved to California. So I've not been into anything. And just this spring, I've been going to strip clubs, straight strip clubs for now until I can find my queer ones. Um, and it's, it's a totally different experience from queer spaces. Right. But I kind of dig it. And I kind of dig it for the main reason, whenever I go into strip clubs, I am one of the only women there. Mm-hmm. And then I'm the one of the, if not the only, when I first walk in, one of the only people sitting in front row. Mm-hmm. Cause all the people sit in the back. <laughs> and I'm like, you can't tip from back I here. Know. up here. So I will sit front and center start throwing money with the hopes that it gives other permission for other men and other people to come closer yeah, and pay the dancers. Um, and just to clarify, because some people aren't watching the video, so they don't see your air quotes, but when you say straight strip club, um, you refer, are you referring to where there's mainly female or femme presenting dancers to yes. a, a majority male audience? Yeah. Correct. Thank you for clarifying that. It's kind of like the traditional, I think the, when people think strip clubs, they think that, yeah. um, you know, I know a lot of the women and performers are not straight and not everyone in the audience is straight, but how society portrays it. Yeah. It's have a you... female performer with male. Exactly. Or vice versa, male performers yeah. with an all female <laughs> audience. Yeah. Have, have you found any queer strip clubs in your area? So I have a, a nail artist. I've just been getting to know over the few months and finally like found out he was gay, found out I'm queer. So I'm like, oh my God, you have to give me all the queer hookups. He's like, honey, you're in Orange County. Like first recognize where you are. And I'm like, no, he's like, we've got one and we have like half a one or two nights a week. They like, let it be queer. So I just learned about that three weeks ago. And so now my plan is like to go to a drag brunch one of these weekends when I don't have my kids and just slowly start to plug back into my queer community. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for it. There is not a lot in Orange County. You definitely find more stuff in Hollywood and Los Angeles for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's a huge community there. Um, You know, kind of going back to your coaching a little bit, um, the next question I have for you is, um, is the sometimes lack of success we see for some workers a part of what motivates you to support and coach other people in the industry? And and in general, women, you know, I'd like to, to mention that women struggle so often, no matter what their profession, but in this context, we're talking about um, sex work and stripping. Yes. Um, yeah, we talked about this before in our pre-interview, like the privilege that comes with my platform because I've been in it for a short amount of time and I've generated an unusual amount of success. And that's not the story for most sex workers. Right. So I understand the privilege of that because a lot of women can do this for years and never get to the level of income or success that I have. And I get that. Mm-hmm. And I, that's so my heart, like my master's is in social justice. Like I have such a heart for the marginalized, for the oppressed, and always want to bring as many of us along to create the kind of life and abundance that we all deserve. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's one of my favorite things when women come to me to be coached on how to build and what I know specifically in a successful online adult platform mm-hmm. um, because I see so many women struggle and I know what it's like to struggle that first year mm-hmm. I made $500 a month 
Mm. Nothing. Right. And I'm like trying, I'm nervous and I'm shy. And I'm like, I had no idea what I was doing because I didn't have anyone to like hold my hand. Mm -hmm. And now I'm so thrilled that I get to be that mentor that I wish I had had back then. I could have saved myself so much stress and anxiety and made way more money faster than I did just if I'd had someone who'd gone before me. And so, yeah, I have a huge heart helping as many online content creators generate as much success as they desire. Nice. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. When we, when you win, I win, right? When I yeah, win, we absolutely. all win. Like, yep. Just want as much, I want as many people to win as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to add, I, um, I scrolled through your Instagram account a lot and I looked at a lot of the comments. I wanted to read who was following you and who was saying what, and the majority of your comments are are men. They're like like ninety percent males are in your comments. And one of the things that they say a lot about you is how big your heart is and how wonderful of a person you are. And I'm really picking up on that in this interview. So I just wanted to oh, say so. <laughs> oh my gosh! Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I I do. I track, and that's part of what my fans love about my OnlyFans is like. Mm-hmm. You can find naked, sexy women anywhere, everywhere. There's a million yeah. of us for free, in person, online, whatever. But I feel like that's part of my edge is I bring like the fullness of who I am. I bring the fullness of my heart. I bring my full, like, I care so much about them. Mm-hmm. Um, they feel that and mm-hmm. I want them to feel that. I would feel awful if they didn't feel that. Like that's how much I care Mm-hmm. And I'm always amazed when men on Instagram will say that specifically because I would assume most of the men on Instagram aren't a subscriber because um, they would just DM me directly in OnlyFans versus leave a comment. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that even they can sense it and pick up on it shows me that our work is working. Your mm-hmm. podcasts, our social media posts, the conversations we're having, it's working. People mm-hmm. feel it. And that gives me hope to keep going. That's the perfect soundbite to end on to move into stripper tips. Want to be fabulous just like these strippers? Pay attention. It's stripper tips. Are you ready to reveal your stripper tips to the world? Okay, (laughs) go for it. Gosh, so my advice will obviously be for um, content creators online just because that's what I do and specialize in. Um, But what I've gotten a lot from mostly women who've come to me wanting to start an OnlyFans or have one, they're newer to it. They're like, and we've talked about this before. They're like, I have to show my vagina, right? I have to show my vagina in order to make money. And I'm like, and the energy behind it isn't like desire, it's desperation. And that's the difference. Cause there's women who are like, I want to show my vagina. I'm like, awesome. Like I can tell you feel good about it. You love it. It's your thing. Great. But for the women where the energy behind is a little desperate, like I feel so desperate to make money or to not lose fans or to be valued, I need to do this thing. And I just say, slow down. And the thing that's actually going to help you become really lucrative is getting really clear on what you actually feel comfortable doing. Because when you know your limits, you then know what you're completely available to monetize and what you're not available to monetize. When you're too afraid to narrow that down, you're like, I think I'm open to everything but you don't actually have clean energy behind it, your fans can feel that. I could feel it just by you asking me that question and it makes me hesitant, mm-hmm. right? Versus if you are really clear on like, dude, I'm totally fine showing frontal shots in every way, love it. 
But the second I open my legs, I feel uncomfortable. I kind of freeze. That's a limit for you for now, right? When I first started, I did only implied or just topless. That was it. And now I do full on explicit content, but it was a whole journey of me honoring my limits wherever I was at. And that's actually what made my platform part of what makes it so, um, I can't think of the right words, kind of magnetic mm. because my fans realized they were going on a journey with me because mm. I hadn't found my edge yet. Like this is my edge for now, but they'd seen me push that edge back a little bit more and expand and they're like, oh crap, Nicole's doing this now. So they got excited to see someone evolve in real time. There's something really magnetic and attractive and beautiful and authentic about it. And so I try to teach women figure out your limits right now. Don't feel limited or contracted by it. It's just where you are right now. And over time, if you evolve, awesome. Mm -hmm. And your fans are going to love that even more. They're going to tip and pay you even more because they have an authentic evolution and expression in front of them instead of a one-dimensional, here's what all the girls said I should do. So I'm going to do it. Got it. So a long-winded answer of just like, know your limits, give yourself permission to move at your rate, That'll make you more money and make you more attractive than just doing what someone else told you you should do. Yeah. Incredible. That was lovely. Thank you. Yeah. It was detailed and thoughtful, not long-winded. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Get ready for our rapid fire question round. It's time for four for one. Okay. So we have four for one questions. The idea is to answer them however you interpret the question. So my meaning of the question could be different from the way you interpret it. And however you interpret it is fine. Try to answer as fast as you can, but don't feel too much pressure to do so. If you pause, it's no big deal. I am the worst at these. (laughs) Fair warning. And here we go. Okay. (laughs) If you could live anywhere in the universe without any limitations, where would you live? I would live in the sky. I have wanted to be a bird since I was a little girl. I've always wanted the ability to fly, to look down, to feel weightless, to feel carried by the wind. I would live in the sky. Love it. Love it. Next question. Do fish have souls? Oh my gosh. Okay. My knee-jerk reaction was like, no. And then my softy little heart was like, wait, they probably do. Fuck. So that's where I'm at. I think my my societal training says they're just fish. And I think my little my social justice heart is like, they have feelings and thoughts and dreams too. So that's my answer. I'm with you on that. Okay. <laughs> Third question. You've been challenged to a golf cart race with Joe Biden. What amount would you bet on yourself for the win? Oh my God. All the money. I would fucking crush him. <laughs> Listen, listen, something about me you all need to know. Speed is the name of my game. Anything involving speed, I will fucking kill. <laughs> Whether it's driving or it's a card game or it's ping pong, I will like, I am so competitive. I will crash into his cart to make him fall out before I will lose that race. <laughs> that's my MO. Oh man, I think that's the best answer ever. Okay. <laughs> All right. This is the last question. The one I'm slightly nervous about. Okay. A kitty cat and a priest are hanging off the edge of a cliff. Who do you save first? (gasps) This is horrible. Is it bad? 
multiple answer. I'm grabbing them both, baby. Okay. I refuse. <laughs> I refuse to save one. I'm saving them both. I have two hands, two arms, snatching both of them back. Well, you're a superhero, so I have every <laughs> belief that you would do so. Thank you. Thank you for not getting like super angry at that crazy no. question. <laughs> I, I love being forced in horrible situations, and I always like I'm going to flip it and take both. That's right. You're the spin queen. That's it. Yes. You should definitely start calling yourself that. I love that so much. Thank yeah. you for that. I you're welcome. That. So really quick before we close out and and tell everyone where to find everything about you. Just want to remind everyone again that we love your donations and you can send them into paypal.me forward slash yes, a stripper podcast. So Nicole, can you please let everyone know exactly where to find you? Yes, but let me answer this or say this first. Okay. For those of you who are listening, oh God, again, if you do not visit strip clubs or you don't feel comfortable supporting the OnlyFans creator, this is an amazing way to support women in the sex work. Like yeah. view this as if you're in a strip club throwing dollars at a performer or you're on OnlyFans tipping a creator by supporting her podcast financially. It's just another way to view it. Um, Thank you. And show your contribution in a way that feels comfortable for you. You can PayPal, right? Versus showing up to a club or creating an OnlyFans account. It's a small but significant way you can show support. That's my plug. Thank you. Um, you're so welcome. Yes, you can find me at NicoleMitchell.com. My name is both a K and I K O L E. That has all my socials. I'm on I'm on everything. I'm the most active on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and come say hi. And I would love, I'd love to meet you. Thank you so much for spending the hour with us. It, this has been such an incredible hour and um, we're honored to have you on the show and share your amazing story. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I, this conversation was so good. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I'm so excited for her, for everyone who's going to hear it. And again, I, I know I've communicated to you this one, I think when we first connected, but thank you for being so aware and so um, intentional about the way you educate and articulate and communicate and include. Um, it's not very common. And so it's really refreshing to see someone of your caliber and heart and intention and outreach to make the world a better place, specifically for sex workers. So thank you for being you and for doing that important oh, work. You are absolutely welcome. It's a pleasure to get to know you. And um, I hope that we have not seen the last of you. That's for sure. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you to all our listeners for tuning in. Go find Nicole, learn more about her. All right, everyone signing off. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. This episode has been a production with period podcast network. Find out more on Instagram at period podcast network. Be sure to follow us on Instagram too at yes, a stripper podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at yes, a stripper pod. Please like, subscribe, and rate Yes, a Stripper Podcast here on YouTube. See you next week. And that's on period. Network. <laughs>